Welcome to the Man Up, Man Down podcast, presented by Volker Baluda and David Pawsey. We discuss the pressures and challenges faced by men approaching middle age that we're often too embarrassed to speak about with our friends. You can find us online at www.manupdown.com. Enjoy the show and don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Welcome to another edition of Man Up, Man Down. Today we've got a great guest on. Um, I mean, this is something that we've obviously talked about on the podcast before. Um, but we've got William Porter, who's the author of Alcohol Explained. I mean, we're recording this the day before Christmas Eve. Um, it'll be going out in the new year. So I think, you know, we've almost got the two perfect contrasts of, of you know, overdoing it over Christmas I like every single advert that you hear at the moment is, is around alcohol. You know, obviously, alcohol is an intrinsic part of society and Christmas, depending on, you know, sort of who you, you believe. But um, then obviously, you know, there's now a sort of move towards dry January. And I actually saw a thing on the front of today's Daily Star. It was the front page was, you know, support your local boozer, drop dry January. It, it's a, a hot topic. Um, I'll pass you over to Volker. He's uh, going to give you an intro to William. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm more disappointed in you of eating the Daily Star or the Daily Star putting that on. But... <laughs> well, you know, no, I, I like, that's one of my sort of, well, one of my bad habits is sort of <laughs> looking at what the front pages are for the, the day tomorrow before I go to bed. That's where the journalist comes through, right? <laughs> anyway. Let, let me introduce you, William Porter. We were really thrilled about having having him on the podcast. You know, I, I, I read his book, only the first one. He has, he has written several ones. So he's the author of Alcohol Explained, Nicotine Explained, and Diet and Fitness Explained. And I think there's a second version of Alcohol Explained as well, so he can, he can fill us in. He started drinking and smoking when he was 14 years old and tried quitting via Alan Carr's Easy Way. Um, those not familiar with Alan Carr, I think he smoked... Oh, I think 140 cigarettes a day. I, I only made it to 60 a day in my heydays. <laughs> only. Oh, but it's not a competition. Didn't Alan Carr <laughs> die of lung cancer as well? He, he did indeed. Yeah. And, um, he, he started smoking again after his first book and then wrote a second book. Anyway, so I know how difficult it is to give up smoking, although I, I did it, I think, when I just trying to remember. I was, I think, 22 when I gave up chain smoking, which is a bit sad. Um, haven't given up drinking yet, so that's obviously topic of today. Coming back to William's introduction, his, his drinking increased over the years and he drank throughout his military, law and finance career. He got married, had children, and then however in 2014 he stopped drinking completely and now works as a lawyer. So before I hand over to introduce, for, for William to introduce himself, I'd just like to say it sounds like another person growing up, including like myself, um, to think, but why why stop drinking, right? I mean, why why don't we you know, can have some one one vice, you know, it's like it's the last resource, the last thing to hang on to that gives us comfort and everything else. And so, and if I say that's that's why we, we did the first episode on alcoholism um, a, f- a few weeks ago, um, but that's why, why I wanted to get William on the call because there's so much in his book which makes me think, why, why are we hanging on to these, you know, drinks? And yeah, David just mentioned the Daily Star. But enough, William, over to you. Welcome to the podcast. Tell us all about you and, you know, why, why shouldn't we? Or why should we? <laughs> so thank you very much for inviting me, first of all. So obviously, yes, William Porter, author of Alcohol Explained and a few other books. 
it, it's interesting what you say about because yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people, particularly this time of year, like why should we have to give up everything? Because you hear a lot, you know, you've got to quit drinking, you've got to quit vaping, you've got to quit smoking, you've got to cut down on meat and all the rest of it. And I think people yeah. are left there thinking, what pleasure is there left in life? But I think really the key here is, is it a pleasure and is it overall serving you? Because with a lot of these things, they have an immediate apparent, and I stress the word apparent benefit, but then they have a massive downside on the other side. So I took a very, very pragmatic approach. And, and that's really what Alcohol Explained is. It's, it, it, you know, you've both mentioned the whole way that alcohol is intrinsically linked with Christmas. And we have, you know, the glasses of champagne in the morning and the mulled wine and all the rest of it. What I tried to do is strip away all that nonsense and just say, okay, what is this substance? What does it do to us? How do we react to it? You know, why is it so important to us in certain situations? And Christmas is a classic one because Christmas ought to be enjoyable. You know, you're off work, you've got loads of food, you've got presents, you've got nothing to do all day apart from sit around eating, enjoying people's company and watching TV. You know, it's a good day. But for many of us, if there's no alcohol involved, we're not going to enjoy it. And I think that's that's the key. Society, you know, we do live in a very alcocentric society. I think something like 87% of the population drink. But look at it this way. You know, as children, we enjoyed Christmas. We then introduce a drug into our lives. And after a fairly short space of time, what we used to be able to do, which is enjoy Christmas without alcohol, we suddenly can't do anymore. So when you start to dig into it a bit, for me, certainly, it's less about, you know, oh, alcohol is, uh, you know, the icing on the cake. For a lot of people, it's the other way around. There's something they should be able to enjoy. And because they've been drinking regularly, they're no longer able to enjoy it without their drug. Yeah. You put it in there. In those terms, it puts, you know, it's a very different yep. spin on things, isn't it? I quite often say to people, you know, if you're in front of a room full of people and you say to them, right, hands up, who thinks alcohol or drinking makes a night out with friends more fun, everyone will put their hand up. But if you say to the same room of people, okay, hands up all those who are reliant on a drug to such an extent you can no longer fully cope with and or enjoy life, no one puts their hand up. But it's the same question. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting there that you sort of mention about, you know, as children, you enjoy Christmas. I mean, I, I remember like one of my friends saying, like, you look at a little kid and for them getting a high or a rush is running as fast as they can or going down a slide and, and you know so if we talk about christmas well i think any occasion you know from well from a, 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 as soon as we're conscious we're being indoctrinated that you know if it's a christening you need to have alcohol if it's a funeral you need to have alcohol a wedding a birthday you know it, it's and you know and i guess there is you know part of it is it was, you know, we, we started drinking alcohol because it was the only safe way to drink water. Uh, you know, and, and I've, you know, and it's something I've talked about. I've, you know, I, I have a, 
well, a bit of a complicated relationship with alcohol in the yeah you know it makes me feel i like having a drink but it makes me feel dreadful for at least a week you know if if i overdo it so like now you know i only drink once a month i guess but at the same time i'm like oh so when am i going to have that drink so you know this time of year it's like oh well will that be christmas eve or will that be christmas day and i you know part of me is like well i wish i you know and I'm, i'm sort of making quote marks here i wish i could you know sort of go out with my friends and not drink and enjoy myself but yeah even with my oldest friends you know there there's i can feel like anxiety being in a social situation and yeah i use a drug to overcome my discomfort but then you know it's like i guess another thing that i sort of find interesting or confusing is the term alcoholic and i think you know, it's, well, you know, I like a drink, but I'm not an alcoholic because I'm not waking up first thing in the morning and having a drink. But, you know, it's like, well, actually, is is an alcoholic the person that has to have a pint at lunchtime and two pints in the evening every single day? Or is it, well, someone like me that, you know, well, you know, previously I'd only drink at the weekends, but, you know, I'd overdo it, have a terrible night's sleep, and then, you know, as I say, that would be it for the next week. It's really, you've raised a lot of very interesting points there. <laughs> and I'm not sure which one to talk about first. I think that the point about the, and again in quote marks, alcoholic, the terms going out of fashion, I mean, I use it in my book, but my book was written a few years ago now. It's kind of going out of fashion at the moment because it puts the emphasis on the individual rather than the drug. And that goes back to a, a, a long, 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 long history of how people have you know, perceived drink problems as it's the individual that's the problem. Because, you know what, 90% of the population can enjoy this drug without getting addicted to it. And it's only this small number of people who seem to have problems with it. it it's worth probably stopping and just very quickly... And at a very high level, just explaining physiological effects of alcohol. So alcohol is a sedative, okay? It's a depressant. And when I use the word depressant, I'm using it in its chemical sense as something that decreases or inhibits nerve activity. So to take your point about I'm out with my friends, I feel a bit anxious and a drink seems to help, it's because it's a sedative, So it's taking the edge off your nerves and making you feel a bit more relaxed. I think most people are kind of on board with that. Where things get a bit more interesting is how the human brain reacts to alcohol. Now, the human brain creates and excretes a massive amount of chemicals, drugs and hormones that it itself creates. We humans don't fully understand. We we don't have a list of all these chemical drugs and hormones, let alone do we understand how they all work together but what we do know is the brain works by way of something called homeostasis which is a fancy word for basically a a balancing act between all these different chemicals drugs and hormones when that balancing act is all in place and everything's level generally you feel pretty confident pretty good not to say you don't have bad days of course you do but your default state is, you know, I'm fairly, feeling fairly good. If something happens, I'm confident enough I can deal with it. When you introduce this sedative that is alcohol, your brain reacts to it 
because it senses that there's a disturbance to the homeostasis. You know, there's a disturbance to the force. And, and so, it steps to counter it. It does this in, in lots of different ways. And again, not fully understood. To counter the sedating effects of the alcohol, it releases its own stimulants like cortisol and adrenaline. Um, but basically, it becomes oversensitive so that it can work under the sedating effects of the alcohol. Now, when the alcohol wears off, that oversensitization remains for a period. Okay, and that cortisol, that adrenaline is in your bloodstream. You feel more alert. Um, it's why your heart rate goes up. It's why you wake up at three or four in the morning after drinking and unable to get back to sleep. It's the equivalent of waking up in the middle of the night and drinking three or four months of strong coffee. And in feeling kind of like really, you might be exhausted, but you're kind of on edge, not feeling too good, worrying about anything and everything. Yeah, anxiety. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's anxiety. Now, there's two ways you can get rid of that feeling. One is what you do, which is wait a few days until you start to feel better. Your brain chemistry gets back to normal. But a far, far quicker way of getting rid of it is to have another drink. Because your brain's geared up to work under the staging effects of the alcohol. The alcohol's gone, so you're feeling jittery and out of sorts. So you have another drink, you immediately feel a lot better. Now, that's the basic physiology and physical side of alcoholism. Problem drinking, alcohol dependency, call it what you will. It's feeling unpleasant and having another drink to relieve that. Now... That on its own does not make up alcohol dependency necessarily because there's... Un so when the alcohol starts to wear off, it starts to leave that unpleasant feeling, okay? There's a lot of reasons in life why we might not feel pleasant, okay? You might have an argument with your partner, you might have a bill you can't pay, you might just wake up not feeling good. Most of the time when we don't feel good, we just get on with things, okay? But... Over the years, your brain starts to pick up on this particular unpleasant feeling and starts to associate another drink with the relieving of it. And when that starts to happen, when one drink wears off, it causes a desire for the next one. And that's where you hear people say, I don't have an off switch. You know, I, I don't mind not drinking, but when I drink, I don't want to stop. I just want to, you know, I, I don't want to have one or two. I either want to drink not drink yeah, which i think i used that phrase that exact phrase on, on a recent like podcast yeah. where we were discussing this topic as well yeah it's very very common and and that's the physiology behind it because one wonder it wears off you feel unpleasant you want the next one now there are people out there who drink a lot of alcohol but only in the evening now this brings us on to a slightly different part but it, it's the craving process so that the physical side of addiction is what we've just discussed but there's a conscious thought process that goes with it and that's craving that's fan and the craving is basically fanta fantasizing and idolizing so you're sat there thinking oh i really want to drink i'm miserable without well wouldn't things be so much better if i'm drinking okay Part of this is being allowed to have a drink. And what you find is people who are drinking a lot, but just in the evenings might think, oh, I'm not alcohol dependent because you know what? I wake up at seven. I go all day without drinking and it's only in the evening that I drink. But the reason for that is they wake up with alcohol withdrawal. They feel tense and unpleasant and an alcoholic drink would make them feel a whole world better. But they do not drink in the morning. We, we as a society have very strict arbitrary rules about when we can and can't drink it's fine drinking in the evening it's really unacceptable drinking first thing in the morning 
So instead of waking up craving a drink, the drinker's waking up thinking about oh, get up, have a shower, get the kids ready, go to work, or this, that, and the other to do. They, even though the alcohol withdrawal's there, they don't start craving the alcohol purely because it just doesn't enter into their realm of comprehension of having a drink at that time. I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, you, you hear a lot of people talking about, you know, going to the gym and sweating it out. So, you know, in some ways, it's almost replacing that with, well, you know, they're not having the drink, but they're they're doing something to kind of get over that, that yeah. withdrawal. And yeah, you know, and again, I think that's, you know, it can be like almost a, well, yeah, it's fine because I'm, I'm keeping fit and I'm, you know, physically I'm looking, well, yeah, externally I look fine. It's an interesting one because that whole thing about sweating out the hangover firstly can't happen. Okay, that anxiety is a chemical reaction and you can't exercise to get rid of it. When you exercise, your brain releases endorphins, so you do feel a bit better mentally if you do some exercise. So you will feel better if you jump up in the morning and do some exercise. But something very important to remember, we've already mentioned how alcohol, because your brain releases stimulants to counter it, overall, um, your heart rate increases. Now... This is another thing that people don't really understand, but when your heart rate goes up, your brain tells you to sit down and rest, okay? The higher your heart rate goes, the more your brain says to you, stop, sit down and rest. That's why exercise is difficult. The faster your heart rate going, the harder you're pushing yourself, the more you want to stop. When you wake up after drinking, your heart rate's already massively elevated, so your ability to exercise is reduced, and it's harder to exercise. So think your resting heart rate is 60, and I don't know, your your maximum heart rate is 200. Okay, you've got 140 beats per minute to go. If you've drunk a load the night before and your heart rate's already at 100, you've, you've massively reduced that. You know, you get up having not had a drink, and you go for a run and you feel fine. You get up having had a few drinks the night before, it's harder work. You want to stop sooner. You really have to grit your teeth to get through it. So it actually makes it a lot harder to exercise. You're right. People, you know, they think, oh, I look all right or I'm getting up to exercise every day. But actually, they're doing a massively reduced workout and it's correspondingly harder for them to get those same results. There's so much I'm, I'm learning. And, and what I learned in your book as well, but, but... You know, this I wrote down this anxiety vexation cycle, right? Is that your subconscious can't doesn't understand it, right? Or your or your subconscious understands it. Like you, you, you drink alcohol to relax, right? The end of the day. Yeah. And it's interesting what you say, right? It's it's a societal thing, right? End of the day is fine. Right? But if someone and I remember that from, from uni days in Aberdeen, there were some boats that came in like overnight and there was one pub that opened at seven o'clock in the morning and it was completely fine to drink at seven o'clock in the yeah. morning in that pub. Because that was their cycle, right? But yeah, so if if, if you have a nine to five job, it's just you know you don't just don't go to the pub on your way to work and and grab a pint instead of a coffee. <laughs> like it's just not what yeah. you do. So yeah, I, I think it, it relaxes you, right? But then it creates anxiety, and you need to drink more to, in, in order to continue to relax, which is crazy, right? So so why why are we doing it? And and what what I also and I understand what you just said in in terms of the addiction. But when, when is too much? Because I, I remember speaking to a nurse um, years and years ago, not, not that it's changed much, to be honest. Um, but he said to me, he said, Volker, 
you know, how much alcohol do you drink? And I said, oh, you know, on a good night, I can I can do a bottle of wine, right? And he said, Falke, you know, even if you don't notice it, because, you know, you're a big lad, you know, you're, you, you can, you know, you can cope with it, you know, you don't notice it. That doesn't mean you don't damage your body, so your, your liver and everything else, you know, in the same way or more than, than other people do as well, right? So it's a whole binge drinking effect. And I think that's that's another thing to consider, right? It's not only when when do we cross the line in terms of, you know, becoming alcoholic and dependent, but also when when do we cross the line and actually start doing proper damage to our body? That, that's a very interesting one. The question, you know, how much is too much? For me, and and I do hasten to emphasise this. This is just my view, and and it's entirely yeah. up to you know you guys and all of your listeners to to hear what I'm saying and either agree with it or disagree with it. But from my view, any amount is too much. One of the big things people don't really realise with alcohol is how it affects sleep. So so I've mentioned, and this is just an example of how even small amounts of alcohol can be massively damaging, not just further down the line, but here and now. So I've talked about the physiological effects of alcohol with its sedating and then your brain becoming oversensitive. With sleep, a lot of people just assume that, you know, you full unconscious for a few hours you wake up you're good to go when you sleep you actually sleep through different cycles and again yeah. there's a lot we humans do not understand about sleep um, but what we do know is you sleep through different cycles and one of the main differentiating factors between these sleep cycles is how deeply unconscious you are okay so there's something called deep sleep, which, as its name suggests, you're very deeply unconscious. Everything really slows down. But on the other end of the scale, there's something called REM sleep, which stands for rapid eye movement. And the reason it's called rapid eye movement is because your eyes flicker, even though your eyes are shut. Now, when they do studies on people and they attach sensors to their brain and monitor them through REM sleep, their brain lights up as though they're as if they're almost awake. So it's this really odd sleep cycle where your brain's almost fully awake even though you're unconscious. It's when we dream. Now, as I said, there's a lot we don't understand. It. They've done tests on rats, REM sleep, where they've starved them of REM sleep and they've been dead within a few weeks. It's actually been fatal for them. They've done human studies and obviously human studies by their nature are voluntary. One of the problems yeah. they have, people drop out the studies. They monitor them, and as soon as they go into REM sleep, they wake them up. So they're robbing them of REM sleep. People become very depressed, very disorientated, and they drop out of the study. They actually can't physically cope with it. So we don't know much about these sleep cycles, but we know they are crucial. Okay, Drinkers, on average, get two rounds of REM sleep. When you're not drinking, you get, on average, seven so there's this massive decrease in REM sleep, which makes sense when you consider that alcohol is a sedative. So when you fall asleep, your brain's drugged with this sedative. It can't get you up into that higher level of consciousness that allows you to go into REM sleep because of the effects of this drug. Now, when the alcohol wears off and the oversensitization kicks in, that's usually after about five hours. So that's why when you drink, you wake up at three, four in the morning. It's almost five hours exactly after your last drink that oversensitization kicks in. So what drinkers find is for the first part of the night, they don't get REM sleep because they're too heavily sedated. 
And for the rest of the night, they don't really sleep at all. It's more like dozing because of that oversensitization. Okay, that effect will sleep. It's worse if you drink more, but even one drink interrupts that sleep cycle. So, you know, we don't know much about the effects of sleep on mental health, but we t we do know it has this yeah. massive, massive, but we don't know the whys, but we know the effects. It has this massive impact, and even one drink has this massive impact. One drink also, less so than if you're having a dozen, but still increases your heart rate, which makes you feel washed out the next day. Um, and let's not forget, despite all the so-called studies to the opposite, alcohol is not good for you from a health perspective. It's a class one carcinogen. So the World Health Organization has classed it as a class one carcinogen for humans, along with cigarette smoking and asbestos. It has zero health benefits. So when you see these studies saying a glass of wine is good for you, what they really say, so, so let's look at what wine is, it's alcohol and grape juice. The grape juice may be for you, the alcohol isn't. So saying I'm having a glass of wine or a beer for my health is like smoking a cigarette and having an apple and saying the vitamin C in the apple is good for me. You're mixing something bad and something good. Just have the grape juice. It's it's interesting that, um, well, so I, as I say, I, I sort of had a period where, well, I didn't drink for over a year. Um, I did that with um, one year no beer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and obviously a lot of it is is kind of reprogramming your brain to, you know, to, to think, to, to well realize that actually you know well i mean one of the things that they talked about is you know it is technically poison so if you imagine it with the skull and crossbones on it um but yeah during that time my um well my now wife she did a um oh, one of the cancer runs run for life okay yeah, yeah and um and then at the end they're like giving out glasses of prosecco and I, and I said, on your website, it says, no amount of alcohol is safe. And I said, so why are you giving this out? And and I, I wrote a blog on it, and, you know, and I was, I, I sort of sent some glib questions to their press office. And I, and I said, you know, why aren't you handing cigarettes out instead? Yeah. And, and the thing is, you see pictures, you know, you see pictures of like Tour de France, you know, back in, you know, black and white photos and they're on their bikes smoking and and you know and it's well and also i mean that sort of i've seen footage as well where you know that was the original doping where they'd sort of run into these out you know bars in the alps and down brandy because you know that was the only way that they could keep their body going and obviously you know as we know from lance armstrong etc there's there's new drugs that enable them to push their bodies that that far but um I mean, sort of one thing I did want to pick up on, you sort of talked about, well, environment. And I mean, you know, sort of Volker talked about your career, mentioned military, law, finance. And I mean, on one hand, I'm, I'm sort of, as I wrote that down, I was going to say, well, they're, you know, I'd say that they're all professions pretty much associated with hard drinking. But then at the same time, I'm thinking, actually, is there a profession that isn't, you know, I mean, Volk has worked in like ad tech. I've worked in, you know, journalism and, and media, um, you know, yeah. So, so, I mean, I guess my, my question was, did you, we, did you stand out in those environments? Well, I don't, sorry, I don't know exactly when you stopped drinking, but did you stand out in those environments as having a problem? 
um what was did someone take you aside or was it you that that decided that alcohol wasn't serving you anymore yeah it's a very good question i was asked something similar the other day i was never pulled to one side but i regularly used to ring in sick on a monday and it was starting to be mondays and tuesdays because i would yeah. drink so much at the weekend and then you know, I'd ring in sick on a Monday, but then I'd start drinking again, so I'd be ringing in sick on the Tuesday. So it was getting worse and worse. And although I didn't notice it myself, I mean, it must have been pretty obvious because I would look bad. And, and when you're drinking heavily, it smells. You know, brushing your teeth and showering doesn't get rid of it. I was always quite lucky in that I was fairly good and efficient at my job. So I would miss out, pretty much miss out doing anything but the most basic tasks on Monday, Tuesday but I'd still manage to get everything done Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So I was never taken to one side and spoken to. But as I say, it was ramping up. And it was at that time I quit. And it was my own decision that, that this just isn't serving me anymore. So yeah, I, I, I did manage to escape that. Although I obviously had quite a few problems at home more so than, than at work professionally. But I think it's true what you say, because people have said that before, you know, like, military law finance heavy drinking professions but then you know what isn't there, there seems to be any profession um, and even unemployment you know that seems to yeah. you know any kind of lifestyle seems to you know when you're drinking seems to be improved or dealt with better when, when you're drinking man up man down is sponsored by well doing as someone who has seen a counselor for a number of years i think their approach is great they want you to find the mental health professional who is right for you you can filter your search to highlight therapists with expertise where you need it, or you can pay to use their personalised matching service. The people who run Welldoing are experts in mental well-being, and they also have loads of posts and interviews to keep your mental health in good shape. Take a look at welldoing.org. I mean, look at doctors, right? Yeah. Um, they, they, well. they should know better. Yeah. But but is it not, and, and I spoke to someone um, the other day, actually, it's it's a lot of it is situational as well, right? So so for me and oh, actually not for me, but I know a lot of people. You know, a glass of whiskey and a cigar, right? It's like the holy grail of, you know, if I say success, right? I've I've done it, right? I'm you know what? Well, it's it's the end of the year. I have a cigar and I have a whiskey, and and I, I know people that if I say hardly drink, hardly ever smoke, but that's like oh yeah, this one day, right? I really treat myself. But you do exactly the opposite. But for me, and I have to say, I get that really difficult out of my head. So I'm, I, I happily be in the pub and drink alcohol-free beer. You know, coming from Germany, I keep telling the story. Like, I think it was nine or ten years ago, I had a German friend over from Germany, and we, we, we didn't want to drink. And we went around, I think, ten pubs trying to find alcohol-free beer, and we couldn't. And, and luckily, that has now changed. So, you know, there, there is no alcohol-free beer in pubs. So... I, I used to hide, so I, I used to go to the bar and go like, oh, I get the drinks. And then at the bar, I, I pulled the Bex Blue into a pint glass. I came out and I go, oh, I'm, I'm drinking like like you do, right? And you, we don't have to do that anymore. So that's, that's an improvement at least. But that's because I, I don't really enjoy, if I say drinking, you know, beer and getting drunk on beer. I mean, you know, occasionally maybe. But my, my vice is really red wine. So there's, there's nothing like having a glass of red wine, end of the week, end of the day sometimes, but not every day. And then sitting in front of the fire, right? And if there was a replacement that would give me the same satisfaction, so you mentioned grape juice, right? If there was proper grape juice, and and you know with different flavors and everything else, um, and it's almost this sophistication, 
right? So I know about my wines, right? The, you know, which kind of makes me like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's this achievement that's associated with it. How, how do we get rid of that? I mean, that's so, so for me, that comes back. So I've spoken about the craving process, which yeah. is essentially when a thought enters your head of, I would have a drink in this situation, or I would like a drink in this situation. You start to obsess about it and you start to dwell on it and you start to test it out. And could I have one? Should I have one? I'm supposed to be stopping. Yeah. You've got good blah, blah, blah. So you're going through all this thing. Now, take both of your situations. So, you know, you've mentioned sitting in the armchair or, you know, by the fire, you know, perfect into the week or being out with friends and yeah. or drinking alcohol free beer when they're drinking. Now, Either of those situations should be enjoyable, okay? You're out with your mates, enjoying their company. You're sat down, relaxing in front of the fire after a half week's work, whatever, okay? They are inherently enjoyable, and you can add any situation to it. You can add Christmas, you can add holidays, coming in from work after a hard day. All pleasurable situations, okay? They're only pleasurable if you're paying attention to them. If you're ignoring that situation entirely and instead you're taken up, all your attention is taken up with an unpleasant internal tantrum about, I want to drink, I can't have one, wouldn't it be nice, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You might as well be sat in a prison cell for all the pleasure you're getting out of that situation. Okay. So the easiest way to end that, I can't concentrate on what's going on, I can't derive any pleasure from it, is just to have a drink. Because when yeah. you've got the drink in your hand, you're no longer fantasizing, thinking, should I, shouldn't I, wouldn't it be lovely? Because you've got the drink. So suddenly you can stop that unpleasant internal tantrum and you can relax and you can enjoy the fire and the sitting down or the chatting with your mates or yeah. the holiday or the Christmas. And this is one of the interesting things with alcohol. We've spoken a bit about the negatives, but you can do a similar thing looking at the positives. A lot of the positives are illusionary because this is how we can end up forget forget the physical side of it forget the, yeah. you know, that cycle of needing to drink to get rid of the unpleasant feeling from the last one this is purely psychological and it's deeply ingrained from society because that image of sitting in front of a fire with you know a, a, a glass of whiskey yeah. or what red wine or whatever or being out with your mates and having beer or champagne on christmas morning or whatever is kind of forced into us over years and years and years. So when we get to those pleasant situations, if we don't have the alcohol, we're miserable because we don't have it. Not yeah. because it's actually adding anything. But that kind of feeds into itself because our experience of it is, you know what, I like going out with my mates when I'm drinking. I don't enjoy it when I'm not drinking. I love sitting in front of the fire with a glass of red wine but remove the red wine and I just don't enjoy it. So therefore in our mind, the alcohol becomes the catalyst to allow us to enjoy ourselves, but it's false. It's just that mental process we've been going through and the alcohol has then allowed us to bypass that process and actually enjoy the event in the first place. So how, how, how do we break that, sorry David, how do we break that cycle? Because that, that's something that, if I say, I, I personally don't seem to be able to do that. I, if I say, I don't think I have a drinking problem. Um, you know, I hope not. Um, but I think that, 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 that cycle to break, I think that's, that's the most difficult one for me. You know, like I, 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 I went meat free for, for a year or, or a bit, right? I, I can, I can break society in terms of smoking because again, 
I mean, my, my wife hates it when I, when I mention it, but I, I remember one of the first dates we went out and, you know, those days you were still allowed to, um, to smoke in the restaurant. So I had like eight cigarettes whilst we were eating dinner. I mean, just imagine that these days, right? Awful. Awful. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm big anti-smoker these days. Um, you know, but society accepts it now, right? That you say, oh yeah, we don't smoke inside anymore. Is it purely society? Or is, 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 it, is, it, is it a switch in my brain that can say, no, actually, I can just enjoy myself without alcohol? Because I, I was on a retreat last weekend and, you know, fine, I, I, can, I can go without alcohol. I can enjoy myself. Um, there was no fire, but, you know, we had a great time. It's, so what, what is it? No, or is it is it's a trick. Yeah, no, no. Well, for me and for a lot of people, it's changing the perception of alcohol. Yeah. Because, you know, if you've got something that tastes good, that makes you feel happy and good and it's got very little downside. Yeah. And, and really tops things off. Of course, it's going to be something you're thinking about and obsessing about. But if you've got something that tastes foul, um, that's a carcinogen, that just makes you feel slightly dull before wearing off, leaving a corresponding feeling of anxiety, and then ruins your sleep and robs you of energy, yeah. you're less likely to want it. Um, and it's that shift in perception. So for me, if I was sat, for example, by a fire after a long week's work, just sat there relaxing, and someone said, you have to drink this glass of wine, it would really irritate me because I would think, right, it's going to make me feel slightly dulled. Yeah. I'm aware of leaving a feeling of anxiety. I'm ruining my night's sleep. And instead of bouncing up tomorrow morning feeling good because I've had a great night's sleep, I'm going to be waking up feeling, even after one glass, groggy and not quite as well rested yeah. or too of. So I don't want it. And because I don't want it, I'm not there thinking oh, wouldn't it be nice, wouldn't it be nice? And that really, as I say, for me and for a lot of other people, that's the key. When you change your perception, it changes whether you're going to sit there agonising over it or not. It takes some work and some effort, but like I've said, there's a lot of downsides to alcohol which yep. people aren't aware of, and when you start to factor that in, that starts to change how you look at things. But a lot of the positives are actually false. You know, we, we, I've mentioned about how it seems to be the catalyst to allow you to enjoy yourself, but actually it's kind of a clever psychological process. And you can actually go through that with virtually any situation in which alcohol appears to confer a benefit. So working through it all can flip the switch and change your perception. So yeah. when I see alcohol, I don't see comfort and joy and relaxation i see myself waking up at four in the morning and not being able to get back to sleep and then feeling rotten the next day the negative association yeah no i mean it again sort of well one of the things that i learned is you know for well a i found with alcohol free beer you do kind of get that psychological effect um because i think well, there, there's well like the science shows that actually, you know, you take a sip of beer and you're like, ah, oh, I feel so relaxed. But actually the alcohol doesn't take effect for another 20 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think the other thing as well is that, um, you know, like we talked about children. And I think there's been studies that, you know, if you put a group of children together for the first 10, 20 minutes, they do kind of keep themselves to themselves and then naturally warm up to each other. So, you know, in a, an adult social situation, you're like, oh, well, you know, 
once the drink started flowing, that broke the ice. But actually, it is, you know, human nature that when you've been together for a certain amount of time, you do naturally start to bond together. Yeah, absolutely. Social occasions are a fascinating one because when humans are relaxed and socialising, their brain releases endorphins, which are naturally occurring chemicals that make us feel really good. But we are all creatures of society, children included, and we worry about, you know, we don't know people, what will they think of us, what if I say something stupid? So the natural process is you arrive at a social event feeling nervous and not too relaxed. But as you start chatting to someone, if the conversation's interesting, you start to forget about what I look like, what people think of me, and you just become involved in the conversation. And you start to relax and really enjoy yourself. Now, when you introduce alcohol, it is a sedative. So it does dull those feelings of nervousness. So when you first turn up at a social event, you're feeling nervous. If you took alcohol, it dampens those feelings of nervousness in the same way that heroin would. Right? Um, so we kind of fall into thinking it's helping us. But actually, all it does is bring forward that endorphin rush by a few minutes. Whereas if we just stick with the event not drinking, eventually you kind of settle into it anyway providing you're concentrating on the event and not obsessing about having an alcoholic drink. So it's an interesting one. And actually, because of the way alcohol works and because of all, a lot of people need to keep drinking, as I said before, they don't have that off switch because their brain associates that unpleasant feeling of needing another drink. As they drink more and more, they're actually anaesthetizing themselves further and further. So the endorphin rush becomes anaesthetized. So what you see with drinkers is, if you had a group of people drinking and a group of people not drinking, the not drinking people, they take a bit longer to relax into the evening, but then there would be a good mood throughout the entire evening as the endorphins are there. But what you find with the drinkers, they have that initial jump, first of all, a bit sooner because the alcohol dulled the feeling of nerves and allowed the endorphins to flow. But as they keep drinking, that endorphin feeling is anaesthetized. So the mood starts to drop. You know, drinkers, when they have their first couple of drinks, are all very friendly and happy. But if you fast forward a few hours, that's when the arguments and the fights and the tears, you know, people crying into you know, messaging exes and all the rest of it. It's an interesting one because people quite often say drinking is borrowing happiness for tomorrow, from tomorrow. Yeah. It isn't. Yeah. Because you don't even enjoy the night as much as if you weren't drinking. I mean, it's, it's funny that you've sort of said there that you know, you turn up, you're nervous about saying something stupid yeah. and it's like, well, throw in a few drinks and then you're <laughs> yeah, guaranteed yeah. to say something stupid. But you just don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but then it's that thing in the morning of, of well, you know, the, the anxiety. And it's even if you haven't said something stupid, you're convinced you have said something stupid. And, well, because like, something we've mentioned before is, you know, alcohol like inhibits the ability to lay down memories so you know yeah. you, you can't um yeah you can't remember i mean i'm conscious that we're once again <laughs> we've we've raced to the end and there's still lots that you know oh, i feel we can talk about um i mean i guess my final question would be you know if if someone is struggling with alcohol or we'll say i don't even want to say struggling but if someone feel it's not working for them they want to cut it out what you know what first steps should you take 
So, so you know, I've laid out what worked for me and sort of for other people who found my my approach useful is to really get under the skin of alcohol, work out what we're dealing with here, um, and that can help considerably. So, if people are interested in that kind of method, probably my website's the best place to go to, which is alcoholexplained.com. Um, and on there is a PDF of the first five chapters of the first book. So they can have a look at that and see if they think it would be useful. There's, I mean, apart from that, there's a myriad of resources out there now. I mean, years ago when I first wrote the book, it was AA or nothing. And it does work for a lot of people and it's worth looking at. Um, but th- there's a huge amount more out there now. We, we, we put that in the show notes as well. And um, just looking at your books as well. We'd have loved to talk about smoking as well. Maybe that's uh, that's for another time. One for another because one, yeah. I, I actually remember I gave up smoking in the end after all the Alan Carr's books I've, I've read. Um, there was a hypnotherapy CD I was listening to and it, it, it reminded me what you just said in terms of the, the negative association um, because I got a really negative association with, with smoking. Um, and, and maybe I need to find one like that for drinking. But then again, it's the only vice I have left. But... Um, I think the anxiety, you know, it's like the, the side effects. If I could get rid of the side effects, but still have, you know, what what I said earlier, you know, if I, if I could have alcohol-free wine that tastes nice, I'd probably be convinced. I mean, I'm just so, crazy, right? It's just crazy sitting here and saying that just the day before Christmas, already thinking which bottle I'm going to open tonight, right? <laughs> it's, it's mental. You know, I mean, why are we doing it? I've seen recently <laughs> that they have, like, developed, or, you know, in the lab they've developed... Yeah alcohol without the side effects and you know and i'm like i don't you know i'm like oh that that you know that sounds a bit like pandora's box in my opinion you know it's it's almost like well you know arguably the reason that i've never developed you know a physical dependency on alcohol is that you know i i yeah i feel so rough i don't want to drink for for goodness knows how long so you know it's in my opinion, the hangovers serve a purpose. Really, yeah, certainly. But... I think the other point there is the ideal is not necessarily to give up one drug and then go to another one that's less yeah. cancer. I mean, surely the the, you know, the holy grail for everyone is to not need drugs to be able to live life happily without reliance on external substances. Yeah, well, that almost yeah, that could spark yeah. another forty five minute <laughs> debate, but um. <laughs> Thank you so much, William, for, for, for being our guest. I found that so insightful. And um, obviously, we put put the link to your website on the show notes. And you know, anyone can obviously go on, on Amazon or any other bookstore to, to look at your books. I enjoyed reading your book. Um, don't have to read the nicotine one anymore. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, if I now say, you know, it's, it's like, you know, vaping, right? That's better than smoking. It's awful. You know, it's like we, we don't have any data on that. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's just chemicals we're putting in our body. And it's just, ah, anyway. Before we ramp up another 45 minutes, uh, you know, as, as we say to most of our guests, maybe we need to have you back for a, for a second round. Second round, yeah. Um, but to. thank you so much for, for your time. Thank you very much. Um, it's been really good fun. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. David, anything from your end? You always no. like to have the closing word. Um, well, you know, <laughs> I guess just to, uh, well, thank William. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll have you back to, to tell, tell us that we're all doing bad things to our body <laughs> but, um, and you know and and i guess that sort of what I, I guess that's one of the issues that i do have with the alcohol free space is that it can get a bit preachy and uh-huh. and you know and it's like 
I, I guess, well, a term that I actually used yesterday was that I see myself as bi-sober. <laughs> in that, you know, there's, well, you know, you know, when I want to indulge in alcohol-free fun with my, you know, alcohol-free friends, I can go and do that. And then, you know, if, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the pub, then I will have a little drink. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's enough about me. <laughs> anyway. Thank you so much. Great, thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to Folker or David via our website, www.manupdown.com or podcast at manupdown.com with any feedback or to let us know what topics you'd like us to cover in the future. Hear you again soon.